Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Wow. I'll take that. That's good. <laughs> How you guys doing? You guys look good. Take a look around at yourselves. Okay. You don't seem that convinced. Take my word for it. You look good. I told the first service we walked in here, and I looked at Aaron, my assistant, who's somewhere here in the building. I said, I said, smells like revival. Take a breath in. That's what revival smells like right there. Hopefully you're not sitting by somebody. He doesn't have that order of revival on them. <laughs> it's a great joy to be here. I'm very thankful. You know, when we were, uh, when we were before we were going, if you know anything about uh, my story or our story, my wife's and I, my wife and uh, two of my children are in the room here with us. You guys just wave if you would. And wave. And. Uh, if you know anything about our story, we went to go plant a church uh, in, in one of the top 10 most dangerous cities in the nation at the time. Uh, Aurora, Illinois was, uh, was literally blood was running in the streets on nearly on a daily basis. Um, uh, met with the chief of police and the mayor, and they were like, the place you're wanting to plant your church is the worst place to go. All the churches are moving out. That is crazy. You're nuts. You know, what are you thinking? What a bad idea. All of those encouraging words, you know, that you want to hear. Uh, even the group that we were planting the church with was like, this is a bad idea. I mean, like, we were like, we had family members who were like, you'll be dead in two years if you go do that. I mean, it was like, there was like, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, are we going to listen to the Lord or are we going to listen to what all these other people are saying? You know, it's one of those type of deals. And we've always just been that way, you know, and, and just been like, of course, we want to listen to counsel. We want to listen to that. But, but bottom line is, is you know, trusting you know what God is saying. And so, as we were going, um, as we were going in, and we were praying and going, Lord, give us, you know, give us a strategy of of to see this city, not just to see a church grow and a church do a church thing, but to see a city transformed, to see it truly transformed. And what does that look like? What is that? What needs to happen? You know, the Latin kings were ruling our city. It's the largest gang throughout the Chicagoland. And it was like, um, how, do, how do we see that happen? And so uh, I was praying and asking God, give us the keys as, as, as to what's going to make this happen. And so uh, and one day in prayer, the Lord just began to tell, tell me, study the Gadites. Study the sons of Gad, was, you know, uh, Israel's uh, son, uh, Gad. And so I started looking through scripture and started studying uh, the tribe of Gad. Now, when David is going through describing the mighty men of war, he goes through and he describes each one of the tribes, and he says, "They were this one's equipped with a sword, this one's equipped with a shield, this one's equipped with a spear, these guys are equipped with the bow. He goes through all those descriptions, but it gets to Gad, and it said, the Gadites were equipped with every weapon of war. So basically, the Gadites were walking warfare. 
And I told the first service, I said, it was, imagine a human being being a Swiss army knife. And that was the Gadites. You know, they were just like, had everything, you know, popping out everywhere. And they just were equipped with every weapon of war. And so they were walking warfare. And when Israel was blessing Gad, he said, you know, uh, your enemy will grab you by the heel, but you will turn and grab him by the throat. And one is a hindrance, the other's a death blow. And so as I was looking at this, and, and, and he also at one point says, you know, you're, 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 the enemy would invade, will invade your territory, but before he leaves your territory, you will capture him, take back your possessions. So if they came to steal or kill or, you know, plunder them, you'll take back your possessions and extract the toll. And so it was making, so Gad would make the enemy pay a price for even crossing their territory. They would take back all their things and then making a price uh, to pay, you know, extract a toll from them. And so the Lord was like, that's what I want you to do, is I want you to start extracting a toll from the enemy for everything he does in the city. And so I was, we had already led several gang members to Christ, and so I sat down and met with them, and I was like, you know, what's our strategy? You know, what, tell me what, what is the gang's strategy you know, with, when somebody did something bad to you, how did you respond? And they were like, well, whatever you did to us, we did three times that to you. If you stole 10,000 of our dollars, we're coming and stealing 30,000 of yours. If you rape one of our women, we're raping three of you. You kill one of our guys, we're killing three of yours. Whatever you do to us, we do three times that to you. And I was like, that's what we're doing. And they were like, we're going to kill people? <laughs> They're like, I love this church. And I'm like, no, we're not going to kill people. What we're going to do is every time there's a violent crime, every time something bad happens in the air, we're going to the very block where it happens, and we're taking three. We're leading three people to Christ. We're bringing three people in the kingdom. Every time something bad takes place, we're going after three. And we are letting little Lucy know, that's my pet name for Satan, is little Lucy, short for Lucifer. We're letting little Lucy know that you aren't, you aren't attacking this city without paying a price because this city is now no longer yours. It now belongs to Jesus. And so that was our strategy. That was what our, our, our plan was. And so every time that would happen, there would be a drive-by shooting. There would be a drug deal gone wrong. Somebody would get killed. Uh, there'd be a rape. We would go to the very area, and we would saturate that area. And we didn't stop until we led at least three people to Christ. We'd see a bunch of healings happen in between, do deliverances, you know, as a part of that. But bringing people into a relationship with Christ. And all of a sudden, crime began to drop. The chief of police had contacted me, and he's like, he's like, what are you guys doing? And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, every time there's violent crime, we're seeing your guys, you and your guys, out on the streets in that place, on that block. They said, normally where that happens in a block, crime escalates for the next several months. But we're seeing it after you guys step in because you're showing up the next day. As soon as the information's in the paper, you're showing up, and we're seeing crime plummet. And they said, he said, what are you doing? He says, are you carrying on your own investigations? And I was like, no. We're not that bright. We're not that sharp. I said, we're going in. And I told him what we were doing. And he's just a nominal Catholic guy. And he's like, no, 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 no. But really, what are you doing? I'm like, really, that's what we're doing. Now, Bill Johnson calls this shifting the atmosphere. Now, we go into a grocery store. We pray for one person. And we think, well, it's just one person. There was no big impact. No, that's not true. You shifted the atmosphere. 
Something happens in that atmosphere when you do that. And you have to realize the kingdom of God is commonly referred to as the upside-down kingdom. This is where everything works in reverse. So our style of revenge looks so different. I was, and I was praying about that passage, and I was like, Lord, give me a little bit more. Give me, let me see Jesus doing this. And so I, I looked in the scripture where Jesus gets the word that his cousin John the Baptist has been murdered. Herod has cut off his head because Herodias demanded that. And it says... It says that Jesus, when he gets the news, and you, you can read it in Luke 9, there's, it's, it's in other, other Gospels too. When he gets the news, it says he, he goes to the other side of the lake, and he's mourning. I mean, this is his cousin who's just been murdered. This is also, that's, that's a natural relationship, kingdom relationship. It's the greatest of all the prophets that has been killed, the one who's preparing the way for him to come. This is a huge loss from kingdom's perspective. And it says he pulls away from the crowd, but the crowd found where he was. They came to him, and it says, and when Jesus saw them, he saw the crowd, he saw the throng. It says he was moved with compassion, and he healed them all. And the Lord spoke to me and said, the revenge of God. That's God's style of revenge. You see, he doesn't retaliate the way we think. He doesn't retaliate based on human standards, but he goes and he redeems. How does he get revenge from the work of the enemy? He takes a Paul who's murdering his own people and turns him into half of the writer of the New Testament. That's God's style of revenge. That's how God makes the enemy pay. That's how he strikes back at the enemy. So whenever this, this type of stuff, whenever stuff comes at you, your response is not to be pulled back and be going, God, why me? Collect the toll. Collect the toll. Go out. Begin to release. I mean, it's, it's something. It's just how the kingdom works. This, again, is an upside down. It's where love is a weapon of mass destruction. Peace is a weapon of mass. Joy is a weapon of mass destruction. It destroys the works of the evil. When Satan, when, when Jesus says, I came to destroy the works of the evil one, how did he do that? Healing the sick, multiplying food, casting demons out, raising the dead. That's how he destroys the works of the evil one. We can stop and look at that as just, you know, fluffy, you know, beautiful stuff. If this room was filled with people that were getting healed, if, it, like, if we were praying and, and tons of you were getting healed, when you walk in that room, wouldn't you see that as beautiful? You know what Satan sees when he comes in that same room? Carnage. It's a bloodbath. Body parts are laying everywhere. There's blood all over the walls, all over the floor, all over the chairs. Why? His kingdom is being annihilated with every one of those healings. It's a bloodbath. And so it's seeing through. That's the reason why people will come into an atmosphere like this where the spirit's moving, and some of them will go, like, this is bad. This is not good. Why? They're seeing through Satan's kingdom lens. They're seeing through the lens of Satan's perspective. Others of us come in and like, oh, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Why? We're seeing through God's kingdom lens. There's only two lenses. And you're only going to see through one perspective or the other. Does that make sense? So all of a sudden, we started, we started hitting the streets. And crimes started dropping throughout. Dropped so much over a couple of years until the police ended up laying a third of the police staff off because the police staff were complaining of being bored. No joke. They laid a third of the police staff. It had not happened before. Crimes started dropping so dramatically. And again, one of the 10 top most dangerous cities in the nation. 
It began to draw, and I'm not talking about Chicago, I'm talking about Aurora. And it's the second largest city in Illinois. It's not a small city. But all of a sudden, things begin to change, things begin to shift. And, and they were people, and, and, and when, they, when that began to happen, the, the, uh, the uh, gang members started thinking, you know, wait a minute, we got to recapture our respect. In gang lingo, respect means fear. If you don't fear me, you don't respect me. If you fear me, you respect me. And so they were like, we got to get back our respect, so we got to make everybody afraid of us again. So they were threatening 2012 would be the bloodiest year in all of Aurora's history. And so they were threatening to start the worst war that had ever been started between them and the police and them and the rival gangs. And so if you saw the movie Father of Lights, that's at the end of 2011, that's when we brought those main gang leaders throughout all the Chicago land together, brought them into our church, sat down and had a meeting with them, prayed for them, prophesied to them. They all gave their lives to Christ. The end of the story was is that at the end of 2012, matter of fact, the woman that was in that movie was just texting me a few minutes ago uh, saying uh, some stuff to me, uh, just about uh, just stuff that she was seeing the Lord doing here this morning with you. It's so cool because she was like a hellion before, trust me. <laughs> Not a good lady, uh, but a godly righteous one now. But any, she's prophesying over you. It's just like, it's just how God works, right? So all of a sudden... Um, they all, of course, they all give their lives to Christ, which, of course, we're looking going, sweet revenge. <laughs> That'll catch up with you later, and you'll realize how good that actually is once you understand it, because that's God's style of revenge. What ended up happening in 2012, we went a full calendar year, second largest city in Illinois, one of the top 10 most dangerous in the nation without one homicide. That had not happened for 66 years. The full story of that is in that book, Do What Jesus Did, in the first chapter. And here's, here's what's so cool. It caught the attention. I didn't get to share this with first service. It caught the attention of so many people that it was front page of every major newspaper around the country. Uh, that We had a chief of police from France and from Italy flew over to meet with our chief of police to study the police intelligence. And when they were there, the BBC was doing, I mean, CNN, Fox, all of them did segments on that, of what had happened there. And, and the BBC was doing a, uh, a segment on that. And on the BBC, our chief of police said, you cannot just study the police intelligence. He said, you've got to study what that little church on the corner of Root and Galena is doing, because whatever they're doing is, it's changing our city. And he fully nodded. They named a day in the city after our church. I mean, it was like it, crazy things uh, just happened in that. Now, let me tell you something. We always think, well, oh, that's cool because of this, this, or this. Let me tell you something. It, it was, you would be in these moments when this is happening, and you would be shocked at how, it, how normal they would feel. We're sort of thinking, you know, things are going to feel this like spectacular sort of in the moment, but how normal that it's just truly is a naturally supernatural, you know, act and occurrence, but yet the atmosphere is shifting. From the natural perspective, it looks calm. It looks at people just sharing Jesus with, but that doesn't make that much of an impact. In the spirit realm, there's missiles, there's explosions, there's all this, this warfare that's happening in the supernatural from heaven's perspective. It's a whole different picture. And we have to serve heaven's perspective, not the natural perspective, because that's where it shifts. So imagine 
teaching that. So anytime somebody in our church would get sick, we were like, hey. And they're like, you know, would you pray for my family member? I'm like, no, go outside and lead three people to Christ. Go outside and pray for three people to be healed. Don't let the enemy attack your family like that. You make him pay for that. I was, I was speaking in, in an event. We were in this arena. It's like 11,000 young people in England. And, and all of a sudden, I started coming down with the flu. I started getting sick, and I couldn't speak. And I was like, body aches. And I was going hot and cold, hot. And it was like the flu was coming over me. And I texted my sons. They were back uh, home in our city. And I texted my three my, my oldest son and my third son, and I said, I said, I'm coming down with the flu. I need your help now. That's all I said in the text. My oldest son replied. He goes, I'm grabbing my, my uh, younger brother. He goes, we're getting in the car. We're heading to the emergency room. Tell us once it stops. They're not praying for dad. They're going to the emergency room to pray for other people to collect the toll to break it off of dad. You guys know this strategy. You did it with Aaliyah. And so all of a sudden what happened is, is, the, is within 30 minutes of the time they started praying. Thank God the hospital was only five minutes away. It was only half a mile away from our house at that time. 30 minutes after or 30 or 40 minutes after, all of a sudden all the symptoms broke. Everything broke. I was able to get up and preach with no problem. And it wasn't just like anointing came and you know, alleviated. This. No, it left. It completely left. And see, that's God's style of revenge. That's God, we've got to shift that perspective. You see how God flexes his muscles? By dying on a cross. That's how he proves he's almighty God. By going to the lowest place and conquering it. I mean, that's just how he proves who he is, man. He just robs death by going down, going to the bowels of hell and just robbing it. Does that make sense? Guys, let me tell you something. These are tools that will bring you, bring you freedom and release you to greater impact. Now, imagine that being taught in the Middle East. When we were in Afghanistan, that's what we were teaching them. They were like, we were te- they were like nobody gets healed here. Nobody. Within the first few minutes, we're praying for people that are getting healed. In the most dangerous nation on the planet. You know, we're out. You know, I went in the middle of Ramadan there aren't brochures going, come to, you know, Kabul, Afghanistan in Ramadan. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's the most dangerous time to ever go. I went to Mosul while the war was going on in Ramadan. And the whole point of it is, is because how do we spell faith? Say it louder. See, my kid knows. Good boy. Good lad. R-I-S-K. Faith is risk. If we believe that, how are we going to demonstrate our faith? we got to live the risk. Playing it safe is not going to be demonstration of faith. Playing it safe is not going to do that. It's not going to happen. One time I was leaving to go to one of these countries, and I was praying for my kids and them for me, my wife, and I was like, Lord, keep our boys safe. Keep them from harm. Keep them from danger. Keep them, you know, help them be safe, boys. Help them to be careful. Help them to be... My wife said, you stop praying prayers of safety over our boys. And I was like, what kind of mother are you? And she goes, no. She goes, by doing that, you're putting our children in harm's way. Because Jesus said, if you try to save your life, but if you're willing to spend your life for the sake of the gospel, you'll have you know, the life you were intended to live. She goes, stop praying that they are safe. You pray our boys are the most dangerous men on the planet 
to the kingdom of darkness, that when Satan sees them coming, he breaks out into a sweat and shakes in his boots, even at the sight of them, because they're the most dangerous men on the earth. And I was like, you are hot when you talk like that. We've got to see this is the upside-down kingdom. We've got to understand this is, the, this is the system. This is where the last are made first. This is where the weakest are made strong. This is where the most insignificant are brought to the front and given the place of honor. That's how our, the kingdom of God works. And so all of a sudden, when we stop and we think that, that and, and imagine when we, when we went there and it's, you know, these guys in, in that part of the world, in Iran, Afghanistan, and Syria, they take from meeting somebody 14 years before they even share the gospel with them because they're playing it safe. They take seven years from meeting somebody before they even tell them they're a Christian. And then another seven years before they share the gospel with them because they are bombarded with messages of safety and it's killing the church. That's self-preservation. Self-preservation is the death of faith in the church. It will kill faith. We've got to get back. I said this in the first one. We've got to get back to preaching the true prosperity gospel. And you know what the true prosperity gospel is? Martyrdom and persecution. Not as many amens on that part. You know why? The closest place to the throne of God in heaven where you are planning to spend eternity The closest place, the best seat in the house are those who've lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. That is prosperity, my friends. That's true prosperity. And we've gone into doing this stuff of of making it safe and, and trying to play it safe and all of those things. And in doing so, we put ourselves in harm's way and we have depleted the strength and the power of the church. If you, want to see, if you want to see power come, be willing to lay your life down for it. We have a video in the, in, in the finger of God, too. Unfortunately, the copy that you see was fiercely edited. But we look, we stopped this man on the street in Kabul. We stopped him and three times in the, in the segment. He says, what is this peace I'm feeling? I've never felt peace like this before. Just a guy we stopped on the street because we had a word of knowledge about his hand. And his hand was in the shape of a claw. It was just like this, frozen like that. It couldn't move it, couldn't stretch it out. And I looked at, at one of the women, and I said, the woman that you saw with her face covered when we were driving, I said, look at him and say, in the name of Jesus, stretch out your hand and be healed. And his hand just went like that, and he began to move his fingers for the first time in about 10 years. Was completely healed, and we said, now, do you, this Jesus just introduced himself to you, and he's inviting you to your relationship. Do you want to accept Jesus? And his response he didn't know anything about Christianity. He didn't know anything about Jesus. But he knew the price we were asking him to pay by saying this. His response is, yes, I'm ready to sacrifice my life for Jesus. Because they understand in that part of the world, to accept Christ is a commitment to die for him. <laughs> we need that. We need that. We need to learn from them. Imagine, imagine, and we're wanting to start a school there where we're taking them out in their context, in the dangerous parts of the world, not, to, not pulling them out to Western Europe or, or here where it's safe, 
but taking them in their context and demonstrating the reality. All my friends are starting schools here in the U.S., and I'm like, man, we got to start this. Where can, can you imagine that information? I told the leaders there, I said, I can reduce, I'm going to show you how to reduce 14 years down to 14 minutes. And they're like, how's that? And I said, it's called living the book of Acts. We're going to live the book of Acts this next week as we're here. We're going out. We're going in the most dangerous places. We're just doing this because it's the only way to demonstrate. And let me tell you something. You think God is going, be careful, guys. Slow it down a little bit. You know, no, God's in heaven, you know, going, somebody stop me. I'm going there. (laughs) Guys. What, let me tell you something, but let me say this, changing the world starts across the street. Starts with your atheist neighbor. Starts with the coworker praying for your boss at work to be healed. Don't want to leap from this to that. Start right where you are because changing the world starts right around you. But imagine what that would look like. Be praying for us because that's what we're doing. We're starting this year. As a matter of fact, as soon as we leave from the Carolinas, uh, Aaron and I are heading to Pakistan. Be praying for that trip. We've got about two weeks in that part of the world, and man, it's going to be just <laughs> spectacular. Matter of fact, if you want to follow it, go to go to our social media. Just type in my name on our social media, and you can follow, and you'll see updates and all that stuff of what's going to be happening. We couldn't do that much with Af- Afghanistan. Pakistan is the third most dangerous country in the world, so it's not the it's not the first, but it's right up there. But imagine, guys, I'm saying this to inspire you to say, step out. Step out into that. Can I show you something from here, though, but of somebody who was coming to protest? Maybe this would relate a little bit more. This is a little video of this girl who showed up. I was asked to speak at a Southern Baptist church, and, we, and, and the, the person who does my booking is like, you can't afford to do that. You know, we, we, you know we, it's a tiny little Baptist church, and I was like, I will pay that guy. For me to come to a Southern Baptist church. And what had happened is a Southern Baptist pastor started watching some of the videos uh, on YouTube, started watching some of my videos and guys like Todd's and stuff on video. And he was sitting watching and he's, he's watching me train this nine-year-old boy and praying for a, a guy with, uh, who was a green beret whose back was all jacked up. And this nine-year-old boy's praising this kid, get, this guy gets in completely and totally healed, you know. And so he jumps out of his seat and he goes, if that heathen, talking about me, if that heathen can do it, then I can do it too. <laughs> All of a sudden, Holy Spirit hits him. It, he flies back in the air five feet, hits his bookshelf, slides down his bookshelf. This guy's only 30 years old. Slides down his bookshelf. As soon as his butt hits the floor, he erupts in tongues. Two weeks before, he'd just been preaching how the speaking in tongues was of the devil. <laughs> he erupts in tongues. For two days, all he could do, or three days, all he could do was speak in tongues. Fire department showed up. Fire department, he didn't leave because he was scared to leave because he could only speak in. Fire department showed up banging on the door, and they're like, everyone around here says the church is on fire. And he's like, shut up, I got you, I got you. And they're like, we don't see any flames. We don't see any fire. And he's like, shut up. And they just finally leave. So we go there. And this girl, there was, this is right across from an extension uh, site of, of A&M. 
uh, Texas A&M. And so this girl, this Hindu girl, a bunch of her Hindu friends were coming, and they were getting touched by the Holy Spirit, and they were giving their lives to Christ. And so she was coming to protest and say, this is wrong, this is evil, this isn't right. Is this being broadcast on the Internet? Is this going out over the Internet? It is going out of there. Okay, just imagine it. <laughs> Unfortunately, now I can't show it to you, but that's okay. It's, it's, it, what happened, I'll just finish telling you the story. What happened is, is she ended up, ended up getting power. She's not afraid, but uh, there's issues with the extended family. But she ended up coming to protest, and when we invited the Holy Spirit to come, all of a sudden, and I kept watching. I didn't know anything about her. I just kept looking out you know, at this hundred or so people, and I could just see the Holy Spirit all around her. I could just see it all over her. And then all of a sudden, I just said, Holy Spirit, you know, come. And I said, take us deeper. And as I did, all of a sudden, she starts going backwards. Well, these little Southern Baptist people, they don't know what that is. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Bam! She hits the ground. She didn't even feel herself hit the ground. And she, right there, she said, I felt the presence of God come all over me. And she goes, and out of my mouth, I said, Jesus, you are God, and you are the only God. And she goes, and I will serve, and I will. She goes, I gave my life to Jesus without even knowing that that's what I had done. <laughs> and so she gets up, and she says, and in the video, she says, I will not worship any more idols. I was an idol worshiper. I will never worship only Jesus who I will worship. As tears are streaming down her face and the impact. Let me tell you something. You, got, you don't have to argue with people. Just give them an encounter. You are the encounter God expects them to experience. You are that encounter. Now, let me take it. Look, we, we got to read from Scripture. We got to make this a legal meeting. We're in the South. It's dangerous if you don't. Turn, turn to 1 Kings 17. Okay? 1 Kings 17. Now, when you're running for your life, when we, when we <laughs> I, I got called by the CIA. They're like, do you realize you're going to the most dangerous country in the world at the most dangerous time of the world, and you're a Christian? And you have to understand, I've been to Iran many times, too. And in Iran, the people will protect you, but the government, they want to kill you, you know? In Afghanistan, everybody wants to kill you. <laughs> they're, they're not prejudiced at all. They just, any, if you're a Christian, everybody wants to kill you. So you've got ISIS. You got that. In 2014, ISIS came in. All the Christians refer to that as the year of death. Because ISIS killed so many Christians during that year. So many were just completely annihilated and, and, and killed. And so uh, with the Taliban, uh, of course, they had been doing that for years before. And so uh, in 2014, they, they just refer to that as a year of death. I've never experienced a spirit of fear so strong. I, I, it wasn't something I was feeling, but on them. That I, and I kept telling him that spirit of fear is a manifestation of the, that what you're feeling is from the spirit of fear. It's a manifestation of the spirit. It's not your fear. And they, they, they were having a hard time grasping that. I'm like, you're, you're bowing and yielding to something that's not yours. And so I, I, said, it's, I said, if it's a manifestation, it's coming from someplace else. It's not yours. So uh, they, it, was, it was hard. So we took, we took them out, had to show them on the streets. You know, had to walk them through and how to do it, how to do it, and and see the demonstration of God's presence and power, and and they were they were one of the missionaries who had been there. She said, "I saw more people come to Christ in the past seven days than I have in the past fourteen years," and she goes, "and I saw more people healed than I've seen in my entire lifetime." She was a missionary from Brazil, 
And she goes, I've never seen so many people. And let me tell you something. It was just low-hanging fruit. Man, if you want to see a bunch of people get healed like crazy, fast, radical, go to a Muslim country that's being, you know, being oppressed. Man, you will just see it just come through like that. It's so powerful. We think there's a greater level of demonic opposition there. And actually, all of those demons, I think, are working against us as a church. I don't think they even mess with them because they're like, well, we got them. They're ours. They keep them in deception and in lies, but, but they see them as being theirs. It was, just, it, was, it was such low-hanging fruit. Every person we prayed for, with the exception of one, were healed. Every single one. The entire trip. It was just everybody was, everybody, everybody was seeing it and everybody was getting it. And, and, and we finally, we were like, uh, we, we, we saw it. I was held at gunpoint twice, nearly shot two times. God miraculously intervened. The second trip I went that same year, I went five months later, and was arrested twice, brought in for interrogation, and the Lord miraculously, I don't have time to go into that story, but uh, the Lord miraculously got me released. It was just one thing after the other. But let me tell you something. You don't see God's hand like that by playing it safe. We look at the, at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we would, we would probably go in and curse the flames and rebuke the flames, command them to go out. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had commanded the flames to go out, the king would have never had a revelation of Christ. In the fire, Christ is revealed. In the fire, Christ is revealed. Don't curse the flames. Look for Jesus. Look for what he's doing and follow what he's doing rather than the opposition that you're up against. We see the opposition as the enemy. Look for what Christ is doing in the midst of the crisis. Look for what he's doing in the midst of the crisis. Now, Elijah, he's running for his life. And I've been, like I said, I've been in that place. I've been, I've been shot at. I've had knives held to my throat. I've had those things. It's, it's easy in that time to get a little bit stressed. You know, the second trip, we've got a, 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 an Afghan military guy standing outside of our door with an AK-47 looking at our, just staring at our door all night long. You have a tendency not to sleep that well that night when that happens. Elijah's a little bit stressed being under that. And so all of a sudden, you know, God recognizes, you need to chill. You need a break. So the Lord speaks to him and says to him this in, in, in 1 Kings 17.2. Then the Lord said to Elijah, why? Because Jezebel was coming after him, trying to kill him. You know, she wanted to eliminate him because she wanted people to worship Baal instead because those guys were in her pocket. And she wanted to keep it that way. She wanted to control, you know, that, that she could control. She couldn't control Jehovah. So in verse 2, it says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat whatever ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. Now let me back up just in a little bit. So how many of you grew up in church or catechism classes? Anybody grow up in church, grow up in Sunday school? So if we grew up in Sunday school, how many of you remember Flannel Graph? You remember the cartoon characters that have got some of you millennials holding your hand? Put your hands down. You don't know what I'm... Let me translate for you. Veggie Tales. Your Flannel Graph was Veggie Tales. We had these paper characters that were cartoon that were put up on the back wall. A Sunday school teacher would be telling the story with Flannel Graph. Now, I told the first service, our, in our church, we, my parents pastored in the hood... And so we had, you know, sort of jacked up flannel graphs, or ours was a little tattered, a little torn, because it was hand-me-down flannel graph from the Baptist church down the road. So I grew up thinking Peter was an amputee. 
Somebody had ripped off Peter's leg, and I was like, oh, Peter's an amputee, and so I, that's how I grew up because of the flannel graph. Now, the problem is, is we've seen the flannel graph or the movies or the cartoon versions, so we anticipate what's going to happen in the story, right? How many of you know when these guys are living it, they don't know what's going to happen in the story? In the context, they don't know what's going to happen next. Look at all the crazy stuff Jesus tells, tells his disciples to do, and they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what the end result of that's going to be. They don't know what, how, how that's going to flush out for them. So all of a sudden, let me, let me try to do this quick. So all of a sudden, they, they, they see that, you know, they, they don't have any of that. He says, go. So if you got this word, how many of you see this word? Go and hide by Kareth Brook, live down there by the ravine. Let's say you got that word this morning. Wild animals are going to feed you. Anybody see that as a weird word? Two of you. The rest of you are like, yes, I get that word every morning. I live in that zone of that. You know, and this is, I, I'm sitting there thinking, I need the mouth of two or three witnesses. I mean, I need some backup for that before I go do that. And I mean, you're, you're going, it doesn't sound appealing to go live by a ravine and wait for wild animals. Is, is that appeal to anybody? A couple of hands? You've got to be introverted. Dear God. Only introverts, yes, get away from people, please. Take me there. <laughs> and so he's, he's and, 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 and wild animals feeding you, ravens feed, I can't get food from my sons, much less my domesticated dog. I mean, how does that work? What is the, they just come up, drop it there in front of you? I mean, I'm sitting there thinking there's got to be a tussle in there somewhere because that's how it works. This is a weird word. And when you think of ravens bringing you food, what comes to mind? I was in, thank you, I was in Sunday school Seven years old, Mrs. Casey, our Sunday school teacher, was telling this story, and I'm like, it was roadkill. And she's like, Robbie, stop it. She goes, you always say these weird things in the lesson. She goes, look at the flannel graph. Those are two little crackers in those birds' mouths. There's no meat in their mouth. Go sit in the corner. And I'm like sitting in the corner going, I know it was roadkill. She was so sure there was no meat. Well, let's read on. So Elijah did as the Lord told him. Why? God said, yep, the Lord told him to. He camped by Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan, and ravens brought him bread and meat. Circle it right to the side, draw to the side, and put roadkill. Robbie was right. Robbie won, Sunday school teacher, wrong! (laughs) I mean, this is crazy. But it says every morning and every evening. Every morning and every evening. I mean, again, this is a weird word. When I was going to Afghanistan, people were saying, how many thousands of people do you have interceding, praying for your protection? I'm like, I've never asked anybody to pray for my protection. I'm like, if I want people praying, I want them praying for revival. 
I'm like, you know, you don't see Peter and Jesus, you know, saying, hey, I'm going out. Would you pray? I'm heading to this thing called the cross. Would you pray for my safety and protection? Why? Because laying down your life is about being willing to, you know, willing to give that. Willing to, it's the only way to have life. Again, it's the upside down kingdom. And so we are always thinking from a natural side, why doesn't God just do, why does he say there's going to be a big picnic basket there for you? Two weeks worth of food. I mean, that may, I mean, couldn't God do He's God. He could do it that way. Yes. But each meal needs to be provided by these wild beasts because only God could do that. Anything else could be written off as something else, right? <laughs> Sounds like a good gig. Why would it need to change? I mean, isn't this all just about our personal spiritual development? Isn't this all just about our own personal spiritual, our own devotional life, just nonstop quiet time with Jesus? Isn't that what this is all about? And that's all that really needs to happen? But after a while, the brook dried up. Bummer. After a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon, for I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Why did it have to come to an end? Because it's not about our own spiritual development. God needs us in the community. The only way they're going to experience him is Christ in you. The only way they're going to experience him is Christ in you. Let me tell you something. I, I thank God for our military. I bless our troops. Thank them for their service every time I see them. So grateful for them. But I'm telling you now, governments will not change the Middle East. Only a radical revival, only a resurgence of the book of Acts, once again, will see that whole entire area change. You will not legislate deception. You will not legislate it out. It won't happen because governments will always still filter in tolerance. And they cannot because it's got to be decided. God put it in man to make the decision to choose him from the beginning. And it's the only thing that will change. And the only thing that's going to make that change is an encounter. They have to have an encounter. And where does that encounter come from? Us. It's God's plan. It's God's plan for that to take place. Now, finally, a word that makes sense. For I have instructed a widow there to feed. Now, I doubt Elijah's going, I need confirmation. Why? A human being feeding another human being, doesn't that make perfect sense? You're not sitting there going, yeah, I I need proof that that's actually true. I need some, you know, give me a little bit more. There's no question of that. There's no, you know, so he follows through and he says, so he went to Zarephath. And as he arrived at the gates of the, at the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. Now, how does he know it's a widow? Is he using prophetic skills? We don't know. It doesn't really say. Does she have a monogram, you know, widow thingy on her that says, I'm a widow? Is there a certain head wrap that says, I'm, is a color she's wearing? We don't know. But somehow he's like, aha, a widow. And God had told him what? I've instructed a widow to feed you. So it's natural, first widow he sees is, she's going to be the one that feeds me, right? Two of you? Okay. They're the representatives of the rest. Am I putting you guys to sleep? No. 
Listen, I can read from the book of Numbers if I'm boring you. Let me tell you, if you have trouble sleeping at night, crack the book of Numbers. Put you out like a light. And he looks at the widow. She's gathering shifts. He says, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And why is he asking? Because God said he instructed a widow. So he's just following through on what the Lord said. How did, he, how, did, how did he get this message? Was it an audible voice? What the scripture doesn't say. But I imagine it's just the internal nudge. We still question, is that me or is it God? I don't know, I don't know. Just follow it. Yeah. Be okay with being wrong. You being right is not God's objective. That person having an encounter is God's objective. And even when you're wrong, he can get, that encounter can get to them. So it's not me being right. As she was going... And he said, oh, and he says, would you bring me a little water cup? And as she was going to get it, he said, and would you bring me a bite of bread too? Again? Because God said. He's just following what the Lord said. But she said, and what you hear in her response shows you the bad shape this woman's in. She's not in a good place. I mean, she's in a bad place. She said, I swear by the Lord, your God. And you could add Elijah. Because she's saying, he's not my God. He won't come through for me. He will for you, but not for me. I swear by the Lord, your God. She's not even embracing him as her God anymore. She's written it off. She's in a bad, bad place. I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of a jug. I was just going to take gather these few sticks and cook this last meal for me and my son, then we and he and I are going to eat it and then die. This is equivalent of about two little biscuits. That's all I've got. We're just going to find a hole in and just die. This lady's in bad shape. She's in bad shape. Now, Elijah's response is incredible. How many of you, like me, I would have been like, I'm so sorry. I've obviously approached the wrong widow. (laughs) Makes sense? Makes sense that I would have done that. I've stumbled across the wrong widow because you don't have enough that's clear to see. What am I thinking? So sorry. Would you please get your list of widows in your house in this village so I can go through and find that one that God spoke to? Because God spoke to a widow here who clearly has to have enough because you don't. It's not you. I get that. The math is simple on that one. Right? That's what a normal person would do. But Elijah's, Elijah's response, it's so loving. It's so pastoral. I mean, when you hear this, you're going to say, I wish Elijah was my pastor. Because of the love that's just emanating from his state. He looks at her and he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. You go ahead and make those two little biscuits for you and your little orphan son. You, you, you go ahead and do that. And as you're bringing that biscuit, that warm biscuit that you're starving for, clearly, 
as, as it, it's approaching your mouth. But before it enters your tight, gaunt cheeks, but as you begin to salivate for it because of the smell of it, bring them both to me so that I can eat them instead. I'll let you watch. The kid can watch too. <laughs> what word comes to mind now? Jerk! What a big jerk Elijah is! How dare he! Didn't he hear? She doesn't have it! <laughs> you know what the miracle of the story is? She actually does it. <laughs> she goes and bakes these two little biscuits. Now, let me just say, if this widow was from the town where I planted my church, the ones I was telling you stories about just before, you know what would happen? She would kill Elijah and eat Elijah. He would be on a spit in her backyard over an open fire, and she'd be going, he was a really good prophet. <laughs> mm, a really good prophet. Those two biscuits and this are going to go really well together in a minute. <laughs> yeah. But she actually does it. I don't think she did it with a good heart. I think she's over there doing the mix and going, you call yourself a man of God. <laughs> We'll see if you're a prophet. See if he shows you that. <laughs> and then she brings the biscuits to him, and he's like, oh. <laughs> wow. Oh, you make really good. As she and her son are watching and like, <laughs> imagining the taste of those biscuits. And he finished it. He goes, it would be a waste for you to die because you make really good biscuits. That would be terrible. So instead, now you go back and make some for you and your son. I imagine she's like, I'm sorry. What do you not understand? About that was it. That was the last of our groceries. And you just ate them. I told you we didn't have enough. But you made us eat, make it for you and let us watch you eat it. I told you there was no more flour. There's another handful of flour. Oh, but we used up all the oil. There's more oil. But we used it all. The scripture says every time she goes back to that barrel, every time she goes back to that jar, there's always enough. There's always enough. Now, here's what we do. We're like, Lord, I'll give it if you fill it. Fill it up and it's yours. That's not how God works. God works says you give it and I'll make sure there's always enough. I'll multiply it as you give it until you put it into my hands. Give me what you have in your hands so I can multiply it. Until you do, I can't multiply it. 
So was the miracle for the widow or for Elijah? I believe it was for the widow. But it couldn't happen until she gave it to Elijah, until she trusted what he was saying was, you know, what God had said. It makes no sense. It doesn't, why can't God just make sense? Wouldn't it be easier to just try making sense? Just half the time. But if, if, if all of a sudden it all made sense and it's equaling up to us, then who's Lord? Because it needs to make sense to me. And I'm saying I'm the one who it needs to make sense to. The fact that I just say, Lord, whatever you say, I'm going to do that. That demonstrates his power. I'm not going to share that. It'll take too long. Other story. No, you, you listen. I pastored for 17 years. I know those children workers how hard they're working over there. I'm not telling you. Guys, this applies to everything. This applies to money. This applies to praying for somebody for healing. This applies to you need time. We're like, I don't have enough time. I'm doing all this. I need more time. I just wish I had more time. If you need more time, serve a children's ministry. (laughs) Only the pastor is saying yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Seriously, you need more time? You want to go to the other parts of the world? We're, we're taking people with us. We're taking people with us to Turkey because in July we're going to Turkey. We're we're working with a thousand Iranians coming over for us to train to go back to Iran. You want to go? We got to know you're serving where you're at before you come. I'm not taking spectators. I'm taking servants because I'm a servant. It's like. You've stopped preaching and gone to meddling now. (laughs) Do you want what you have to multiply? Don't trust. See, Elijah isn't working off what his eyes see. He's working off what the Lord says. He's not working off the circumstances. You may be in tough circumstances. It may look impossible. But are you going to trust the word of the Lord or are you going to trust what you have? or what you can measure, or what you know to be? Are you going to be willing to step into something? Everything that is happening in this book is unprecedented. We have it now, which gives us precedence, but they didn't. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense, but will we follow through? Just because, the Lord said. Just because we feel that nudge. Just because, and sometimes you know, people are like, clearly, you, had, you would not go to the most dangerous country in the world at the most dangerous time without a clear word from God. That's stupid to do that without a clear word from God. I said, oh, no, no, no. I had a clear word from God. Actually, I had four clear words from God in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He said, go into all the world. If you need a clear word than that to go anywhere, <laughs> read it again. All the world means all the world. (laughs) See, the humor is just to sort of lift you up a little bit to then go (laughs) for the throat. (laughs) There's some of you that need a breakthrough. 
There's some of you that need a breakthrough, and you're going, that's all I got. But will you trust the Lord? Will you trust the Lord? You're going to trust the circumstances? You're going to trust what you have or what the Lord says? Don't trust the circumstances. God can't do the miracle until you just trust him, regardless of what the circumstances are or what they say. I'm going to do a ministry call here in just a minute, but I'm going to hand it back to Roy for a second. Close your eyes just a second as I pray. Father, stir in our hearts to see, not from the natural perspective, not from the natural measurements of what we have or don't have, but to respond to you based on what you say. Some of you just in hearing that team trip to Turkey, you're like, man, I'd do it, but I don't have the money. Guess what? Neither do we. (laughs) We've never made a decision based on what we have. We just made a decision based on what the Lord says. And God provides. Holy Spirit, touch our hearts. Open our eyes to see from that kingdom of God perspective and not from Satan's perspective any longer. And to serve that. In Jesus' name.